Hi, and welcome to the GBI Conversations podcast. My name is Katie Shevin, and I am the host of this first series. The Global Business Initiative on Human Rights is a business-led cross-industry organisation that works to advance business respect for human rights around the world through practical peer learning and by sharing insights from business practice. GBI's team and network of advisors bring deep experience and immersion in business and human rights developments, unique insights into emerging business practices and approaches, and a commitment to working towards meaningful outcomes for affected people. I'm an advisor to GBI focusing on legal developments and responsible transitions. In this podcast series, I'm talking to a number of GBI's advisors and team members about mandatory human rights due diligence requirements. In this series, we'll be exploring questions that aim to support business practitioners to think critically about their company's approach to human rights and to position their company to navigate these new measures in ways that also meet the expectations of their stakeholders. For example, how can you know if your company's human rights due diligence is really good enough? What do you need to know about downstream due diligence? And how are mandatory due diligence laws affecting expectations of companies when it comes to remedying human rights impacts? Today, I'm speaking to Andrea Schemberg, Chair and Senior Advisor to the Global Business Initiative on Human Rights. Andrea, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Katie. In addition to your roles with GBI, you have an independent advisory practice, you teach, and you sit on a number of advisory groups. However, you're also well known to those working in the business and human rights space from your work supporting the mandate of the late Professor John Ruggie, who led the development of the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights. Today, we're going to talk about meaningful engagement with stakeholders and explore the current state of play and what good looks like. When we talk about engagement with stakeholders, I think it's important for companies to consider all those with an interest in their decisions and impacts, which could include, for example, employees and other workers, uh, their investors and shareholders, business partners and so forth. But much of our discussion today will focus on engaging with affected people because that's often the hardest part to get right. So I'd like to start by asking you to say a few more words about your professional background and how it's shaped your interest in how well companies engage with their stakeholders. Yeah, thanks, Katie. I really appreciate the question because I started out as a lawyer, practicing lawyer on the management side of employment and labor law. And after I studied human rights, I joined Amnesty International. And that's where I really first gained some experience with what we call today stakeholder engagement. And it was the power of listening to people, the power of listening to people's experiences that really um, was engaging in that work. And at the same time, then I continued working with another NGO, which was the International Commission of Jurists. And even though we were working on policy, that engagement with potentially affected stakeholders was really key. And so it's something that it is the heart of human rights due diligence. And I would say it is one of the perhaps most difficult, but also one of the most important aspects of business and human rights. I was going to say just a few more words about that. You know, in a nutshell, what's expected of companies when it comes to engaging meaningfully with stakeholders by the UN guiding principles and, and other key standards? Yeah. 
the UN Guiding Principles really puts stakeholder engagement at the heart of due diligence. It is the way that companies can understand their risks, right? Talking with those who are affected, but also gathering information and feedback from those who are impacted by their decisions, by their projects, by other. And really for me, I can't stress it enough that this is actually how companies can get better information, right? It's like better data, right? For making better decisions. And I have, you know, numerous examples of where companies failed to do that and they just misread certain situations. They've misread what actually is the dynamic of a given context and it costs them dearly. So, you know, it sounds so simple, but actually it's rarely done well, that those who are going to be impacted by your activities need to have useful channels, effective channels for feeding back how are those activities affecting them. So it really is kind of how does the company open its eyes and its ears to look at its impacts on people. And in fact, the heart of due diligence is there, and it's also increasingly becoming a hard law expectation, especially if we look at the European Union's directive on human rights and environmental due diligence. Thank you, Andrea. It's, it's really kind of, uh, I, I guess we hear people talk about, you know, human rights due diligence isn't human rights due diligence if you're not engaging with stakeholders. It's a key element of, of the the information and, and the engagement that companies need to be able to do that due diligence effectively. We've talked a little bit about sort of what's expected of companies and, and, and why it's important. Could you just help us understand a little bit more of sort of what these expectations about meaningful stakeholder engagement look like in practice? Are you able to share some examples of the types of practices companies might implement when they're getting it right, but also the opposite, you know, of bad approaches to engaging with stakeholders. Sure, sure. So a couple of good examples, and it's and it's a little hard to talk about um, a perfect stakeholder engagement because it also really depends on the context and what are you trying to understand? What are the risks that you're concerned about? One really great example was a company was concerned about recruitment fees of workers, concerned that they had arrived to the work site in debt, in serious debt. So they were concerned about debt bondage, right, modern slavery. And so the the idea was that they would engage with the workers to understand whether they had been forced to pay fees in order to arrive. Well, they did a survey and some discussions themselves, the company themselves did it. The outcome was that Almost virtually no one admitted to having paid fees. But the company was extremely smart because they said, is that possible, right? Is that possible that virtually 99% of our workers have said they haven't paid fees? With that doubt, right, at the humility to understand that maybe they've made a mistake in their methodology, they went to a foundation um, and with this third party in conjunction, they used a different methodology 
to engage with the workers, to actually understand and ask similar questions again, but in a different way, in a different context. And they got a very different answer, right? So they weren't going for a compliance approach where they could show to the world that they had a survey that said they didn't, none of their workers paid fees. They were actually concerned about the truth. They were actually concerned about whether the workers paid. And so they dug deeper. They went outside. They, in a collaborative way with a third party, um, they dug deeper, got the right information, and then they could start tackling the problem. There's another, I would say, negative example. The company that I was working with made an assessment based on desk research and a very short visit to the context where they were thinking of building infrastructure um, or being involved in an infrastructure project. They observed with the desk research that the land titles were all clear and they observed in their very short visit to a context where the observers didn't speak the language, weren't familiar with the culture history of the location. They, through their own observations, they concluded that actually the land was free and clear of encumbrances and the people who lived there were peacefully leaving the land. When we asked some critical questions of them, then it came out, of course, that no, they hadn't spoken with the police um, that they actually saw that day in the context. They had not spoken with the inhabitants of that land. And after a suggestion of doing a more profound uh, research project, actually speaking to the people, you know, they were convinced that that was worthy. And in fact, we found all kinds of human rights challenges as soon as we were able to actually have conversations with the people who were being moved from their land. Thank you, Andrea. I, I really like your focus on, on not just the mechanisms through which companies engage, but how they think about, I guess, the, the barriers to getting real engagement and, and information, whether that's trust, whether that's an understanding of, of the questions that are being asked, whether it's that you know feeling of permission to criticize the company or you know other actors within within the value chain. Just thinking about how, what does it take to get people to feel comfortable and, and confident, you know, giving you the information that will help you address um, and understand the issues. Stepping back throughout this podcast, I'm talking to GBI colleagues and advisors a lot about developments in the rapidly changing legal landscape. With the the current pace of change, it often feels like all eyes are on emerging regulatory requirements like the German supply chain law and the draft EU corporate sustainability due diligence directive or CSDDD. Is the need for human rights due diligence to be informed by engagement with stakeholders reflected in these laws? And from a company perspective, does that matter? Yeah, it's a really good question, Katie, because I think more and more we're seeing, and especially with the EU um, draft now, we are seeing that stakeholder engagement, it is becoming a hard law obligation. On the other hand, at least in the draft I've seen, it may not 
fully reflect the idea of stakeholders at the heart of due diligence as elaborated in the UN Guiding Principles. But actually, in terms of doing quality due diligence that is going to help you manage human rights risks, I don't think that's actually um, essential because companies, this is a feedback loop for them. This is how their eyes and ears on the ground for what is happening and how to manage those impacts. It's absolutely essential. And so whether or not it is elaborated exactly as it is stated in the UN Guiding Principles, I think is somewhat besides the point in terms of doing quality due diligence, because that is needed, right? And respecting people who may be affected, using them as a feedback loop, and then also feeding back to them about how things are being managed is absolutely essential for quality due diligence, and it's essential for managing human rights risk. However, the problem I see within the companies may be where it is not mandated to do um, certain stakeholder engagement, and it is not mandated, for example, to report back to stakeholders, how do those who know human rights due diligence inside the company and know how important the investment in time and money um, those stakeholder approaches are, how do they convince the compliance departments that that is a worthy investment? And that, I think, is going to be a very difficult conversation to have once we have legislation in place that maybe doesn't express the importance of stakeholder engagement as it should. We're really setting up a challenge for for businesses in that it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to meet the due diligence obligation and to manage you know what's um, increasingly legal risk around effective due diligence without meaningful engagement with stakeholders. But because the legislation doesn't articulate explicitly that that meaningful stakeholder engagement will be needed, particularly maybe for those companies who are much newer to this, it, it may not be either obvious that they need to do it or there may actually be pushback from legal and, and compliance teams who are being guided you know, very carefully by, by the letter of those laws. That's right. And I think back to the company that I described. They had a survey. It showed 99% of their workers did not pay recruitment fees. What would be the conversation between those who are looking at human rights risk and those who are looking at compliance? The compliance department may be extremely happy with that survey. The people who are running the human rights due diligence and know um, that stakeholder engagement is essential may have a very hard time convincing them, actually, we need to dig deeper because this good result is not going to help us. So, Andrea, through my work with GBI and with other companies around the world, a question I commonly hear is how to approach stakeholder engagement in a meaningful way while trying to implement human rights due diligence at scale across a global business. Intuitively to many people, including perhaps a, a number of our listeners, engaging meaningfully means talking to actual people. But when you're operating in dozens, if not hundreds of countries and managing risks across a value chain that could include 80,000 or more first tier suppliers and hundreds of thousands of other business relationships upstream and downstream, 
it's easy to see how stakeholder engagement might feel daunting. What's some practical advice you could offer to our listeners? That's a great question, Katie. And it is daunting when you think about how many relationships this this means managing. I think there are probably three, three things I would say in terms of practical advice. One, remember that the UN Guiding Principles recognizes the need to prioritize human rights risks. So you go to where severity is worse. And that is where stakeholder engagement absolutely has to start, right? Later, you will get to lesser risks. So you prioritize. Two is you must think of stakeholder engagement as an investment that will ensure you are managing your human rights risks. This is part of the process, and there is no point in doing it if you if stakeholder engagement isn't part of it. It's like seeing half of the landscape, right? You can have a very distorted view. And third, this is really, you know, it's it's hard to stress the importance also of in in corporate social responsibility, they talk about the social license to operate, right? But it is hard to stress how important it is to communicate with people who are going to be impacted by your business. They're going to have a highway going through their town or a road going through their town and access to schools and medical facilities is going to be harder. You need to understand that, right? Before you just suddenly have a work stoppage or you see a protest because people are upset that they can't get their children to school. So it is an absolutely essential step. And it does what you say, though. It's true. It takes time and it takes investment. It takes money. And that is why also these things have to be built into the business model, built into the business development plan, right? It has to be organic to the process. Then it's, it is a just a normal cost of doing business, right? This is not something that comes afterwards where someone has to fight for the budget for it. This is a cost of doing business, but doing business while managing your human rights risks. And I think when people talk about the massive investment that needs to be done there, I think actually they're not thinking that all of this has to get backed up and this has to become part of our business development plans, part of our business development models, and everything that we do thereafter. And that is just a cost of doing business. Thank you, Andrea. So we focused so far on engaging with stakeholders outside the business, including people who might be affected by the company's activities and um, the human rights impacts that it's involved in. What about stakeholders inside the business? Do companies need to think about engaging with them too? Well, that's a good question. Absolutely. You know, the people are impacted by um, decisions, whether they're internal or external. And I think internal stakeholders are often overlooked and in fact are essential for also good due diligence and for the company fulfilling the expectations of the UN guiding principles. And one of my favorite 
sessions ever when um, GBI came together was we did a session on human rights training. And actually what the companies at the time who were presenting told us was that training for them internally, training their their, um, colleagues, was much more about going out and listening to what they are dealing with as opposed to delivering information um, and methodologies to them, right? And they got much more out of it, much more feedback, much more enthusiasm about human rights doing it as a listening tour. And I know, you know, I was engaged in one human rights training that was very much that with the managing directors of a company global um, and they had a global training session and we did a workshop with them on stakeholder engagement and really they drove the conversation. What were they dealing with in the field? Where are their challenges? What does that mean for stakeholder engagement? Actually the focus of that training with stakeholder engagement. What does that mean? How do you do it? How do you find your blind spots? Who do you engage with? And mapping their situations and actually having them teach those at the global headquarters what would stakeholder engagement in their specific context on a specific issue look like? It's such an important observation. Because I feel like it's something that doesn't get picked up in a lot of guidance materials or regulatory initiatives that are emerging in this space that you should do this effectively. You actually have to approach it as a change management exercise. And that means pooling the the knowledge and resources across the company and partnering with with those in, in different parts of the business to get their input and to help, you know, create a space where you can work together to figure out how do you solve these problems? How do you do this work um, effectively? Before we wrap up, I want to ask you one final question about current business approaches to engaging with stakeholders. In your view, how close are we to realising the vision set out by the UNGPs, not just of meaningful engagement with stakeholders, but also of ensuring that that engagement informs human rights due diligence? What are you encouraged by and what do you really see as a priority now? First, the good news, I think that we have come a long way and there are some companies, of course, I only see some company practice, but some companies that I observe are really making strides at understanding and investing in stakeholder engagement approaches and putting it as a priority for their human rights risk management. And I'm extremely encouraged also to see that they are designing stakeholder engagement practices also around the specific risks that they see. So, for example, if the risk is sexual harassment or sexual assault in the workplace or involving workers, there are very different designs of getting information. And I've, I've really been encouraged by some what some companies are doing in this area. But of course, there is always a lot to learn. And I think that learning will probably never stop. The thing that I think is most important is that the, the people who are carrying out human rights due diligence in any given context never stop asking questions and never stop being very humble about what they know, right? So it's a learning curve that we're all on. And I 
I'm encouraged by those companies who start to ask the very hard questions. And I think as long as we don't stop asking those hard questions and looking for maybe information that we would prefer not be there, right? But um, if we st keep digging in because we really want to manage those risks, that is a is a great signal. Well, that's fascinating. And it makes me think about all the learning we still need to do in the technology space, where the numbers of those potentially impacted are huge. I mean, billions of people even. That's so right, Katie. There's so much to learn, especially as technology changes. And as we look at, I mean, tech companies think of of who they are potentially impacting with their business activities. It certainly is going to call for new methodologies and will, you know, companies are innovating and we need lots of innovation, trying things, trying to understand how do you get a sense of how you are impacting people. But of course, it would be impossible to hear from billions of people. So how do you do that in a rigorous way? Um, to give life to what the UN guiding principles require and to do, you know, rigorous human rights due diligence in that context. So all of those are ongoing questions, I think. Andrea, I agree entirely. And thank you so much for your time today. It's always an absolute pleasure to chat with you. And it's been really great to dive a bit more deeply into this topic. Thanks, Katie. It was a pleasure. Have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll speak soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate and review it on Apple Podcast and share it with colleagues or peers you think would also get value from it. For more information about GBI, head to our website at gbihr.org. And for more practical insights into how companies are approaching human rights risks and issues, check out the Business Practice Portal, a unique online resource created by business for business, which can be accessed from our website.